Good morning, church. Isn't it great to be here? Happy Valentine's to you. Hopefully everyone has, uh, has already said that to their Valentine. If not, you're officially in trouble um, because I just reminded you and you didn't come up with that all by yourself. Um, it is a great day to be here and it is just another Hallmark holiday, right? Um, oh, I'm sorry. It's Valentine's Day. Sorry. I should have said that a little bit uh, less abrupt. What are we doing? Oh, there we go. And we're good. And there's Shane, the stage help for today, everybody. <laughs> I tell you, aren't we just so incredibly blessed to have the band that we have? I mean, come on. You know, we're, we're, it's exciting times here at DVC, of course, and we talked about last week just the, where the Lord's leading us and going into two services and all of the complications of that. And I think, man, you know what? One thing we don't have to worry about is we don't have to worry about the quality of our band because they are phenomenal. Um, they are just, just incredible the way they mesh together and they serve the Lord and serve us well. By leading us in worship. If you have your Bible, please open it up to Ephesians 1. You probably already know that. Probably already have a bookmark there. Um, we're in our series. We are rounding third. We Next week, we are going to slide into home plate, and we're going to be done with this series all seven weeks. It's been amazing. I've heard great stories. I see stuff on social media, really what God's doing uh, in you and through you because of this series. And um, I just, I'm so thankful that uh, that you have kind of pressed into this content, and I, and I know that the content is pressed into you. It's something every one of us needs is to, to really understand what the gospel does for our identity. Now this series, Selfie, because you're worth more, we've looked at it and you see it on the mirror behind me. We've kind of pressed into these words to poem or poema, blessed, uh, blameless saint, love, predestined, adopted, redeemed. And today we're going to say it's something, it's almost cliche around like church world. Um, if you've been in church a long time, um, you've heard this word and this word maybe doesn't mean anything. It hasn't meant anything in the past, but I'm hoping that after today that this word will start to kind of gain some traction in your life. And it is this, that I have purpose. So if you have a worship guide, you can fill that in while I fill this in. And is I have purpose. God has given us a purpose. It's not writing very well, but I'll clean it up later. I have purpose. Now I want to give you a very simple uh, just a very simple story to kind of convey a point about your purpose. Years ago, I had uh, I was running a whole lot. As a matter of fact, I was running all kinds of races and actually running. Now I look in hindsight and running had probably become somewhat of an idol in my life and I kind of slowed down. I slowed down running and uh, I picked up eating. So that was awesome. It was a really good trade-off. Um, I'm just kidding. But I do like to eat. Um, so I was running a lot and I... And I've already told you about my my uh, my history with swimming, and I told you about my my kind of near death experience. It was horrific. It was tragic. It was real, and the whole nine yards. Well, one of the things I thought was uh, I had been running, and and I was kind of really interested in doing a triathlon, a sprint triathlon, not a crazy Olympic triathlon, nothing like that. So just like a sprint triathlon, which was like a quarter of a mile swim, blah 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 blah, and all that. So I kind of had that idea. 
And I was like, you know what, I think I can do this. So I already had a gym membership that came with my insurance at the time. So I went to the gym. And they had a, a pool. It wasn't like a big pool. So it was like, like a, it was kind of like fair, uh, fair view to where you would have to do like a ton of laps to amass any sort of distance. But I, I went and I did what you're supposed to do. I bought like the, the, the cap thing to make it look legit, like, you know, like I'm an Olympian. Um, it was blue, like it was the type of blue you could see from like two blocks away, that blue. And I went and, and I had prepared myself, um, and I got into the pool and I thought, you know what, I'm, if I'm going to do this whole sprint triathlon thing, I'm going to have to go and I'm going to have to train myself uh, and just kind of see how I could do. So I get in the water and everything's, you know, it seems to be fine. There's some dude going next to me and he's like, he's swimming. And um, so I get in the water and I just start, I just start swimming, right? I'm just swimming down the lane, but I'm not like straight. I'm like doing this back and forth. I realized that I had some work. But then I started to look over at this dude and this dude's a machine, I mean, I'm looking, and now this guy's in the lane right next to me, and this guy is just like, I mean, he is just like, a, just a razor going in and back and forth, and I'm looking over at this dude, I was like, I don't know what the story is with this guy. So then I'm thinking, wow, this guy, he's just an incredible swimmer. So I kept trying a little bit harder, and I look over at him, and I'm like trying to catch some tips on what this guy's doing. So as I'm going down, and I'm swimming in my lane, and I'm like, I swim the distance one time, and I'm like, <laughs> But this guy's a machine. He's just keeping going. I'm like, is this guy even human? I mean, I didn't even understand what in the world was going on. I mean, I was I was cutting through the water, but more so like an anchor than I, like he was. And so I'm I'm like I'm playing the scenario in my mind of of what this guy must have done. And I started to make excuses for myself. Well, this guy probably swims all the time. Oh, this guy probably had formal training. Oh, this guy probably has just like the swimmer's physique. And I clearly don't have a swimmer's physique. Like, I started to play all these, these scenarios, stories I was telling myself, but what I was trying to do in that moment is I would look at this gentleman who was swimming right next to me, who was doing the same thing that I wanted to do, I was comparing myself to him. Oftentimes, when it comes to our God-given purpose, one of the worst things we can do is compare our purpose to somebody else's. Because what we don't know, and what you have to get is this, when you compare your purpose to somebody else's purpose, you don't know the level of pain that they had to go through to get that purpose. So don't compare your purpose to somebody else's purpose because you certainly don't know the pain that they've had to endure to get to that purpose. Comparison. It's a challenge. It's something that we're going to press into here in just a little bit. In our attempts to have our gospel identity, or maybe you, maybe this whole series and just the, the beginning of this series for you is just kind of like earth shattering because you've never even thought about your identity. You've never even thought about guilt. You've never even thought about shame. But then every time I mention it to a deeper degree, you're like, I think I may have some of that in my life. I think, I think I, I, that broken record reminder of all my wrongdoings, I think that's been the storyline of my life. Maybe the reason why that you're not open to what it is that God would have for you, you're not open to having a relationship even with your spouse or with your kids or with your friends or the person who's even sitting next to you right now. Maybe the reason why is because you haven't allowed the gospel to reshape and to shape and define your identity. If we don't have a true gospel identity, if we don't see who God says that we are, 
We will not be open to what God has for us. We won't be open to other people. We won't live a life of courage. And we will not live out our God-given purpose. We won't. So, the big idea for today is this. The gospel identity is a launching pad from the prison of guilt and shame into the freedom of God's purposes while dealing with the past. While dealing with the past. Oftentimes, what happens is we want to get beyond our past and we don't want to look back and we just want to move on. But the reality is this, that past has shaped you. And I believe that not necessarily in every single one of us, because everybody's past is different. And everybody's living out a, a, a different destiny. And, and we all have a different purpose, all of which is to glorify God. But in doing so, it is different and it looks different for all of us. But for all of us who would even be here or listening to this message, we have to understand, and, and not just at the head level, but the heart level, that a gospel identity is a launching pad from the prison of guilt and shame. It launches us from that guilt and shame. It frees us into the freedom of God's purposes while dealing with our past. We can't just move beyond our past. We have to recognize our past. And some of us who are listening to this message right now, we are going to come to a place and understand that God has brought us through our past to shape our future. He has brought us through our past, not to just get beyond it and just wipe our brow and say, I'm glad I don't have to do with that anymore. For some of us, that past is something we have to rumble with, wrestle with, and what we'll find is a greater purpose for that pain going into the future. The scripture this morning, first, uh, or excuse me, the first chapter of Ephesians, starting in verse 12. I'm going to read it in the flow of the same text we had last week, and we're going to go through verse uh, seven, verse seven through verse 12. It says this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. It's like a word meaning overflowing. Not just a, just a drop in the bucket, but it's just overflowing. And the thing that's overflowing for you and the thing that helps and shapes our gospel identity is this wisdom and understanding. You see it here in the text at the end of verse 8. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Verse 11. In him, that's in Christ Jesus. In Christ we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. In order that we, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. Now the end of this, this text is the Apostle Paul is actually referring to, um, to the Jewish people. And we're going to see next week, he, he, takes, uh, he gets away from the idea of just the Jewish people at the end of, of uh, verse 12, where it says, who were the first to hope in Christ, because it was first to the Jews, then to the Gentile. So that's what he's referring to here, and we're going to see next week that 
if you're not Jewish, um, kind of where our storyline uh, also continues. So let's back up. And like I had said uh, previously, verse 9 is where we're really going to see the first kind of takeaway. But out of this text, I want us to understand something before we even go into understanding all of what Paul said here in this letter. The first takeaway is this, and this is not in your text, but, but you have to understand this is kind of the backdrop for it, is we live in the, in the reality of the problem of sin. In the problem of sin. The problem of sin. This is talked about a lot, but one of the things I wanted to uh, really draw out, and that's the reason why I highlighted the word cursed, from Genesis 3, 17 and 18. Cursed is the ground because of you, though painful toil, through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. I think for you and I, we have to understand this word cursed is not just saying that work is going to be a four-letter word. The ground, the earth, some of our desires, our will, our relationships, your work ethic, politics, many things have been affected by the curse that is mentioned in Genesis 3. The problem of sin, when it comes to a gospel-shaped identity, is this. The problem of sin, if you don't look to Christ, you will inevitably look to yourself to meet the satisfaction for your soul. You will try, and you will fail. And in that, in that exact instant, you will be overwhelmed with guilt, overwhelmed with shame, you will, you will end up lonely and alienated from God and people. That's the problem of sin. So, we need what, is, what uh, the Apostle Paul talks about here in verse 9. We need the initiation of God. The problem of sin means that we can't look in ourselves to find our own identity. If you look in yourselves to find your, your identity, it has been affected by the fall and therefore can't always be trusted. But we need the, initi- the initiation of God. Verse 9 says this, And he made known to us the mystery of his will. The mystery of his will. The word mystery means something into which one must be initiated before it is fully known. So something that must be initiated before it's fully known. Oftentimes we think of it's a mystery and we just say, wow, it's a mystery, I'll never know. You see, God initiated a plan for you and for me. God initiated a purpose for you and for me. God initiated a plan and a purpose that is to press through the pain in your life and to press through the harmful past or whatever it is that happened to you, whatever it is that you did for yourself. If you will press into the Lord, He will reveal to you the mystery of His will. He has initiated this already. We know that God has initiated salvation Peter told us in his writings, he says that it is ultimately God's will that all would be saved, but we know that all are not saved. Ultimately, we know that God would, he wills that everyone would be saved. And yet we also see uh, some other things about this initiation. God initiates salvation. God initiates salvation. 
John 6.44 says this, No one comes to me, no one comes to me, unless the Father who sent me draws them. That's God initiating relationship. That's God's idea. That means if you're a follower of Jesus, that isn't because you were looking for God. That means God was already looking for you. And you just opened your eyes and the Holy Spirit awakened your spirit to the need that there was a God who was initiating a relationship with you. That's the reason why church attendance doesn't work. That's the reason why church affiliation doesn't work. That's the reason why giving a certain amount of money doesn't work. Because God initiates salvation. And all of those things are ways that we try and initiate our own salvation. No one comes to me. Jesus' words, John 6.44, Unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. God initiates salvation. But we also see that God initiates fruitful living and productive living. Jesus also said this in John 15.16, You did not choose me, but I chose you. So that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Part of the initiation of God is so that you would live a productive life. That you would live a fruitful life. That you would live a life that's not just spent on you and your desires, in your marriage, in your happiness, in your kids, in your work, in your 401k, in your retirement, in your IRA. That you would live a life that not only that you don't just take care of yourself, but you would press in and help other people. But to do so, you have to be open to other people. God initiates. God wills that all would be saved and not all are going to be saved. God initiates salvation. No one comes to me. Jesus said, unless the Father draws them. And now, His will, His desire for you is not to spend your life on you. I, the worst thing that, that could happen, I think the worst thing that could happen through this whole series is for you to have a twisted gospel-shaped identity that you think that this identity is just about you. That identity is supposed to shape you, change you, and move through you to other people so that you would ultimately find your purpose. And that's what we see in this text. God has initiated a plan and a purpose for your life. And this is talked about so many times. Verse 10, we're going to see another takeaway. It says, Which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. That's what the NIV says. But the ESV says, As a plan for when the times will have reached their fulfillment. As a plan for. God has a plan for your life. God, the plan for your life. The plan for your life. That God has, there is, a, there is a destiny that He is calling you to. There is a point to your life and it's not to be spent on you. The plan for your life. We talked about in, in weeks gone by that we're adopted into the family of God. That He has brought us into this, into the, to the riches and the blessing of the family of God. Hold your place in Ephesians 1. And I want you to go to the left in your Bible, just a couple of pages actually. It's not going to be very far. And I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 12. Not only does the scripture say that, we, that we're family, but it also says that we're a body. That we're a body. That, the, that God's plan for your life... 
is that we would connected like that we would be connected like a body. But yet some of you are going to wrestle with this right now and some of you sit back and you say, "You know what? I'm too broken to have a purpose for my life. I'm too broken to think that God has ultimately has a plan in my life. I have failed God way too many times to believe that God has a plan for my life because my life ended when I did fill in the blank. That my life ended when I when I signed those divorce papers. My life ended whenever I walked away from my kids. My life ended whenever I walked away from my job and that was the defining moment that I sent my whole family into a spiral. Some of you, you would say, and you would believe at the core of you, you wouldn't tell me, but in your heart you're believing this because of something that happened in your childhood. You've stopped. You've stopped in that moment and you don't believe that God ultimately has a plan for your life because you think you're too broken by your past. But what did we say last week? We're not living our life by the performance of man. We're living our life by the promises of God. And this is one of these incredible promises we see in 1 Corinthians 12. It says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So you may think to yourself, you know what, I'm too weak, I'm too broken, I'm too frail. My past is just, my my past is irredeemable. God's Word says something very contrary to what you're believing about yourself and your identity and your story right now. That there's a special place in the family of God, in the body of Christ. There's a special place for you, even if you consider yourself weak. I love what it says at the end of verse 22. It says that those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That means we can't do without you. That means the local body, we can't do without you. That means ultimately God's purpose for you is to serve other people. You may come into this place and you are so, so beaten down with guilt and shame that you don't even believe that God could use you to serve in the local church. And that would be the very reason why you came in, that you come in week after week and you warm these seats and you don't serve in any other capacity. But God's Word says something for you. If you consider yourself weak, your role is indispensable. We need you. There's an area of ministry you're supposed to plug into. There's something you're supposed to do. There's some words of encouragement you're supposed to speak in your family. Some words of encouragement or acts of service you're supposed to do at your workplace. And ultimately, what you will find is, perhaps you will find that that is part of your purpose. Verse 23, And the parts that we think are less desirable, we treat with special honor. This is the Apostle Paul. This is like a spiritual giant. This isn't who, somebody who, who, is just, who doesn't have a clue and he's looking at the bottom saying, well, we, all of us poor folks, we need to get together and we need to try and make a plan for us. He says, no, no, no. We all have a part in the body of Christ. And he says, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body. No division. All working together. 
but that its parts should be e- have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, I, I love this in verse 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ. It's just such a powerful statement. And if you, and you somewhere in the recesses of your heart, and in your soul, and your mind, you think, you know what? I have lost my plan. God's Word says that you're feeling weak, you're feeling vulnerable right now. He says, you are indispensable. That you have a part to play. And I've said this over and over and over, but it's not the better version of you. It's not the person you're trying to be in 10 years. It's the person that you are right now. Right now. We all have a part to play. Each one, with each person, is to be treated with dignity, value, and respect. And each one is indispensable. <laughs> indispensable. In the body. This plan for our life. We're going to see a couple other things. It says, uh, this is going back to Ephesians 1, starting in verse 11. It says, In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. There's a lot of big words and words that we've, uh, some of which we've already talked about in weeks gone by. But we were also chosen. That's the doctrine of election. That means that, that God knows who's going to be saved, and God saves those that He knows are going to be saved. That's basically what this is meaning. That God chooses, ultimately. And that He has chosen you. If you are a child of God today, that He has chosen you, not just for salvation, but for productive living, and to live a life of purpose. So we're chosen. Having been predestined according to the plan, according to the plan, not according to the chaos, not just according to the brokenness, not just according to one day, someday when I have my, when my life's cleaned up, that there's a plan. That God is, that He is, has a sovereign plan that He's working out on and in you to shape your, your gospel identity and to shape your story. And he works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Now, I could go a bunch of different directions with this, but, but I'm specifically, the last two big ideas this morning, uh, I'm really going to jump into the idea of pain. And the reason why is this. Oftentimes, the very reason why you, you lack uh, a gospel identity. It's not because God didn't give it to you. It's because there's, there's been just this threshold of pain that you've been pressing up against. And you've been afraid to address the pain in your life. You've been afraid to address the, the past brokenness in your life. And, and in doing so, what I wanted to do with this, with this text is we're literally just going to talk about, for the last two, two points and the rest of this talk, talk about the presence of pain in your life and he, even how in the presence of that pain you can ultimately find your purpose. We could go a bunch of different directions, but I know that people's identities have been marred with pain. 
So we're going to press into this. And I know that somebody's going to be helped. I know that this word is, is God's authoritative word for you today. And it's for me today. And I know that this word, if you allow it to, to just seep in, maybe, maybe rush into your spirit, you can find your purpose. And ultimately you'll understand that God has a plan for your life. And it's not to just live a life of brokenness and pain. But you'd find purpose. So what is the, the purpose of pain? The purpose of pain. There's some words and I'm going to kind of parse out here. Um, verse 11, it, it talks about how having been predestined, that's knowing beforehand, we talked about that word already, according to the plan of Him. That word plan in the Greek also is rendered counsel. And it means God's decision or counsel resulting from His own free decision. That means that God is well aware of your brokenness. He's well aware of your pain. He hasn't turned His, eye, he hasn't turned his back on you. He hasn't said, well, you've, you've done it this time. You're never going to be fixed. You just have to live the rest of your life crippled by your past pain. It's not what He says. He says He's working out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. That He's working out everything. He's working out everything. Look at me, please. God's working in you right now. God's working in you right now. Right now. If you're a Christian, God is working in you right now. And His Spirit is speaking to you. Right now. The purpose of the pain. Just as I, I mentioned at the beginning of this talk, don't, don't compare your purpose to somebody else's and don't compare your pain to somebody else's. You know, I, this, it's kind of a funny thing. It happens all the time. There's a lot of people who were, who were uh, you know, raised up in church and they, they think about their testimony. And they think, man... Um, their testimony, it seems to be very clean. Like I grew up in church and there was a day at Vacation Bible School and I went forward and, and it was just one of those God moments where the Holy Spirit drew the child or, or junior higher or high schooler and, and they gave their life to Jesus. And, and their, their life has been pretty uneventful thereafter. And there's oftentimes, there's, there's a lot of those people, and specifically right here in the Bible Belt, there's a lot of those people, and they think, ah, oh, you know, I just wish, I wish my testimony was a little bit better than that. I wish my testimony had a little bit more meat to it than that. I wish my, my testimony, it's like when I hear the story about the, the person who was a drug addict who gives their life to Jesus, it's just like, oh, man, I really wish I had their testimony. No, you don't. You don't want that testimony. But oftentimes what we'll do is, even in church world, we'll compare our testimony to somebody else's and we'll say, you know what, I'm not as worthy because my testimony doesn't make somebody's jaw drop. Praise God you didn't have to go through all of that. Praise God you didn't, you didn't lose those years of your life. Praise God that you're still engaged with your kids and that abuse didn't drive you away from your kids. Praise God that you're, you're still engaged in your, in your first marriage and not your fifth marriage. Praise God. But don't compare your purpose or your pain to somebody else's. Just be you. Be the person that God is making you to be. Pain is a consequence of sin. I just want you to know this. 
The consequences for our sin are there to bring us back to God, not to pay us back for sinning. I'll say it again. Consequences for our sin are there to bring us back to God, not to pay us back for all the wrongdoings that we've ever done. That's karma. That's not Christianity. That's a false religion. Christianity is not karma. Is there consequences for sin? Absolutely. Do do those consequences for sin sometimes render us in pain? Absolutely. Pain ultimately takes us out of our comfort zone and takes us to the God of comfort. Pain ultimately takes us out of our comfort zone into the God of comfort. Let let me just by, uh, just all of us, we're going to all get engaged in this part right now, All right, So you ready? Okay. Remember when you were a child... How many of us had our parents tell us not to touch the burner on the stove? How many? How many? How many? There's a follow-up question. Hold your hand up. It's all right. There's a follow-up question. How many of us decided that our parents didn't know what they were talking about and that we needed to touch that burner just in case they were lying? Who still touched the burner? Right. Good. Thank you. Right? But what did that pain teach us? It wasn't just the words that taught us for all of Some of us, some of you are just so good. Other of us, we're just like, oh, that's hot. Why didn't somebody tell me? And your parents are like, uh, duh, I think I did. You see, sometimes we have to go beyond words for us to understand that there need to be boundaries in our life. Sometimes we need an element of pain to create a boundary of safety. You see, it wasn't just the words when, you're, when your parents said, hey, don't touch that. And some of us were just like, I don't know, maybe there's something good. I mean, I see them standing by the stove all the time. I mean, that could just be, could be exciting, right? And then you just have this seat of doubt where you didn't trust what your parents were saying, but then you put your hands on it. What you learned in that moment is this. A, parents are a lot smarter than what you think they are, Right? But the other thing is this, you just learned that that pain just created a boundary for you. That that pain just created a boundary. That if I do this, this is going to happen. Understand clearly, when there's sin in your life, when there's unconfessed sin in your life, when there's sin in your life that you're trying to just, you're just trying to move beyond understand that that sin ultimately, because the ground that we, that we live on and that we live in is cursed, that sin ultimately will bring a consequence. And oftentimes, that consequence is painful. And that pain is there, not because God's saying, Aha, got you again. Aha, told you. That pain is there, not to pay us back, but to bring us back to God. That pain creates boundaries. I thought of this, and, and I think this, this really deserves to be said. Because some of us have just decided that, that we want to try and numb the pain. We just want to, we just, we've hurt for so long, and what we found is, if we can just numb the pain, that it'll just go away. But let me tell you what happens when you numb the pain. A life without pain ultimately is a life without feeling. And a life without feeling is a life without the ability to love. A life without pain is a life without feeling. 
And a life without feeling is a life without the ability to love. You have to address the past brokenness in your life. If you have not addressed the past brokenness in your life, you will not be as close to the Lord as He longs for you to be. If you have not addressed the past brokenness in your life, your marriage will not be whole like it needs to be. If you have not addressed the past brokenness in your life, you cannot be connected to your kids as much as they need you to be. I'm not trying to add more guilt to you. I'm trying to bring the truth to you. Because I understand this. I've lived this. Perhaps you have too. That a life without pain is a life without feeling. No longer do I feel the pain. It's like, oh, my marriage is on the rocks. My kids are on the rocks. I've already got one kid who doesn't, who doesn't like me. So I'm going to do whatever I can to make my other child happy. And yet in that moment, what you've done is you've just numbed your responsibility to the one who walked away. And you've also lost the ability to love them. A life without pain is a life without feeling. And a life without feeling is a life without the ability to love. You see, in the Bible, the word love in the New Testament is used as a noun and a verb. In the noun, in the noun form, person, place, or a thing, or an idea, right? That, I mean, I can't even, that's just what it is. But when you make love a verb, that's something you feel. That's not just something you know. That's something you feel. So for us, we have to, we have to guard against this and say, you know what, I, I'm not, I have to address the pain in my life. I have to address my responsibility as to why my marriage split up. I have to address my responsibility on why my kids don't want to spend time with me. I have to address my responsibility and why I don't have a relationship with my grandkids. I have to address my responsibility on why my coworkers avoid me. I have to address the responsibility of why it is that I seem so confused and why I can't feel fear these things that I have been trying to press into for the last six weeks. Maybe the reason why you can't feel the reality of these is because you have numbed the pain from your past. And not only do you hinder yourself, you hinder your family, you hinder your relationship with your kids, you ultimately, as what we've just seen, that God's plan for your life, and even the, the most weak of all of us, you actually hinder the body of Christ. Because God wants us to be a family. He wants us to operate as a body, each one playing a part, each one doing what we ought to. Let me give you some good, some good news. God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a hurt. So now, the, the final takeaway is this. I, I want to help you to understand the pathway through the pain. We're, we're also going to go through, uh, I think is the most clear example of pathway through the pain, and this is in 2 Corinthians 12. So I usually don't do this, but I'm going to ask you to go back to the left in your Bible, not quite as far as you did into 1 Corinthians, but it's to the left, probably just a couple of pages. Second Corinthians twelve. 
this also written by the Apostle Paul. This would be someone we would consider a spiritual giant. Not somebody who was perfect. He was not Jesus. But he was, he was a spiritual giant. He was someone who, who wrote like a third of the New Testament. He's that guy. But he shows just the most vulnerable of things about himself in this letter. And for us to kind of just kind of draw into his story and maybe it would help shape our own story. He wrote this, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. To keep me from being conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, because all the things that God was revealing him to, or revealing to him, God was just revealing and he's writing. I mean, the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to write scriptures. Like, that's a big deal, right? So he says that he understands that um, to keep him from being conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. A messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times. He says over and over and over. We don't know, and scholars have, have greatly debated on what, what is this thorn in the flesh that he's talking about. Is this a physical ailment? Maybe. Is it, a, is it an emotional ailment? Possibly. Is it a relational ailment? It could be. And it could just be a spiritual ailment. We don't know. We, we're not absolutely sure. But what we do know for sure is this. No matter what is bringing the pain, we ultimately need to get to the place that he got to. And look at verse 9. After he pleaded with the Lord to take it away from him, the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more, he says, and all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The pathway through the pain ultimately, through God's grace, leads us to a place of mercy and compassion and strength. But you have to press in and you have to press through. You have to press in and you have to press through. He says this thorn in his flesh, that it's bringing pain. A week and a half ago, I was doing some woodworking for the new booth, uh, the guest services booth, that's going to be, uh, at this rate, probably put in in like 2020. Anyway, um, so I was out there doing some work a week and a half ago, and um, I got a splinter in my hand. I got multiple splinters in my hand. Um, I don't work with my hands, so I work with a computer, don't laugh, and uh, a pen and paper, so I don't really have calluses on my hands, right? You judge me all you want, man. That's fine, okay? I'm going to pray for you later. And... So I got a splinter in my hand, and the splinter was in my hand. I tried, I tried my best to kind of to squeeze it, you know, but it's like typical splinter. You don't know which direction it came in, so you're like, you squeeze one way, and it just goes farther. You squeeze the other way, and, you know, it's like you don't know what to do. So I just had to let it go, and I let it go, and it was 
uh, through the night, and it woke me up in the middle of the night, and my finger was festered up, and it was red, and it was hurting. So it woke me up, right? The pain, um, it wasn't terrible, but it was enough to wake me up. So I woke up the next day, finger still uh, swollen, and I kind of let it take its course, and I, I let it, I think it was like a day and a half or two days, and eventually the splinter worked itself out. I think what's so valuable in the text that you see on the screen, I think what's so valuable about Paul's vulnerability is this. The thorn in your life that's bringing about this pain. He's so honest about this that sometimes it just doesn't take care of itself. Just like my splinter. It did take care of itself, but sometimes the thorn... In the flesh, like Paul talked about, sometimes it just doesn't take care of itself. As a matter of fact, sometimes, not comparing any level of pain in my life to yours, but, but you know this to be true, sometimes there's a pain that just lingers and it just seems to never go away. But the pathway through that pain, just like the Apostle Paul said, person I, can, I consider to be a spiritual giant, the pathway through the pain wasn't an absence of hurt. It was the presence of God's grace that led to greater strength. So for you, for me, we're not comparing pain to one another. Understanding that brokenness is, it is what it is. And it's hard and sometimes it's difficult. Let me give you just a couple little bits of maybe advice in, in addressing what, I, I don't know of the pain in your life. I don't know what it is that brought about the pain in your life. I don't know what it is, the presence of pain in your life right now, that's holding you back from being able to emotionally and, and even maybe even mentally accept your gospel-shaped identity. But let me give you just a little bit of advice. Don't compromise your unknown future because of your own comfortable past. Don't do it. Don't compromise your unknown future because of your uncomfortable past. Don't just get off the rails of God's plan for your life because you think you're too broken or you don't feel worthy. Your feelings will deceive you. We have to have an informed uh, emotional state and mental state and spiritual state by who the Word of God says that we are. And all these words that you see behind me. And my hope ultimately is this, that our scarred review of our past can provide a clear vision for the future. We have to do three things. I'm going to make it very quick and then I'm done. We have to dare greatly with our future. We have to press in. It takes courage. We've, we've mentioned this on many different levels. We have to dare greatly with our future. We have, it, it, it's going to take courage. No other way around it. We have to rumble fully with our past pain. We have to rumble fully with our past pain. And through the process, we have to cling mightily to the Lord Jesus. And through His grace, you and I can feel and spiritually be informed with and mentally be informed with a strength that is greater than us, a level of compassion and mercy that is beyond us, while we Identify who it is that God says that we are. We get on the path that He says that we should go on. We will ultimately find 
The way to our purpose is through our past pain. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. 